Last time we were together, we were introduced to the treasure principle that comes from uh, Randy Elkhorn, by the way. What a beautiful principle coming from Matthew chapter 6 here. The principle is this, that you can't take it with you. In other words, your, your money and possessions, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So here's where it comes from here in Matthew 6. Look at verse 19. Jesus gives a negative and a positive command. The negative command is, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Positive commands, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the treasure principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Let me tell you about somebody who tried to live this principle in his life, even from a very young age. I can't remember exactly what his age was. I, I think he was a teenager when Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote uh, some resolutions. By the way, if you don't know who he is, um, I suggest you have a little study of church history on this, but he was an American pastor who lived during the 1700s. I have been richly blessed and helped by his ongoing ministry. But anyway, at, at, at this young age, maybe 19, I'm not sure, he, he, he wrote some amazing resolutions, and I've just picked out a few that, that are wonderful, amazing. You can see the, the Scripture just coming out of his resolutions here. For example, number four is this. He he says, resolve never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, but what tends to the glory of God. Number five says, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number six, resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Number 17 says, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I had come to die. 19. Resolve never to do anything which I shall be afraid to do if I expect it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. And 22. Resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness, notice the next words, in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence. I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Great resolutions. Encourage you maybe to come up with your own, by the way. But what would cause a man to make those kind of resolutions? What would cause a man to make those kind of resolutions? Well, the shorter answer is, of course, God. Uh, impressed upon him to come up with these resolutions. They all come from Scripture. So let me just, uh, today's going to be a little kind of a shotgun effect as opposed to rifle. Uh, It's going to be all over the Scriptures is what I'm saying. Let me just throw out some Scriptures here. Sorry, uh, I know some of you like, like to look at the verses in your Bible. I don't blame you, but there's a lot of Scriptures, so they're all on the screen here for you. But uh, look at uh, Psalm 24, 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
the world and those who dwell therein. So, what belongs to God? The earth. And and the fullness thereof is everything on the earth. And then it names a few things, like even those who dwell, that's you, me, the people of the earth, all the creatures of the earth belong to God. The Old Testament says all kinds of the similar things, by the way. For example, even in Haggai 2, verse 8, it says, Silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Deuteronomy 8.18, You shall remember the Lord your God. Why? Why does Deuteronomy say that? For it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Everything you have, the ability you have to get it, comes from God. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 and 20 says this, you do ask the question, first of all, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Even your body doesn't belong to you. The gold, your silver, all your possessions, your money doesn't belong to you. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And this is a truth that God is continuing to teach me. It's For me, I guess it's a hard one to learn sometimes. So I have to continually be taught these things from God's Word here. And there's a key truth that we can we can glean from these and other verses, and it's this. Here's your first key truth to remember. This is so key. To get the treasure principle, we need to understand this truth, that God owns everything. I'm His money and possessions manager. Do you understand that? You are a manager. God owns it. I'm just managing it. And understanding ownership, by the way, is only half of the lesson that I'm learning in this. It's only half. See, since God is the owner, and I'm His manager, then I need to adopt a a mentality of a steward. A steward mentality toward all of the assets that God has entrusted to me. Notice that I didn't say the assets that God has given to me, because He hasn't given them to me. They are entrusted to me. It's the same for you. And so because a steward manages assets for the the owner's benefit, then this, this is an important distinction that needs to be made, a different mindset, a way of thinking. See, a steward carries no sense of entitlement to all of those assets that he's managing. What's, what's the manager's job? To find out what the owner wants done and to do that job for the owner. <laughs> Whatever that is. To carry out the owner's will. It reminds me of, if you've ever read the book Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite all-time books in the fiction category, it's interesting, there's a there's a there's a a steward of Gondor. For those of you who've read the book or seen the movies, Steward of Gondor is there. He's he's not the king, but he he's at this point in his life, he's 
in the movie and in the book, he's thinking he's the king. He's acting like a king when his title reminds him of what he really is. He's a steward of Gondor, which is a region of Middle Earth. And of course, that creates conflict when the real king shows up. <laughs> and the real king, Aragorn, he was a Christ figure in, in the book. He shows up in the return of the king. And there's this conflict between the real king and the steward. Because the steward doesn't understand he's supposed to be the manager. He's not the owner. Reminds me of another story. The more I read about uh, John Wesley, the more I appreciate his godliness. One time, there was a very distraught man that rode his horse up to John Wesley. And he shouted, Mr. Wesley, something terrible happened. Your house burned to the ground. How would you like to hear that news? So Wesley, trying to take all this news in, and he calmly replied, No, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Amazing response. Wesley's reaction is is a bold statement of reality, is it not? God is the owner of all things. We're just simply his stewards. And if God chooses to burn your house to the ground, that's what the owner wants to do with his property. Is right. But whenever we think like an owner, there should be some red flags going up in our minds. We should be thinking like stewards or even maybe think of investment managers. Investment managers are not spending their own money, they're not investing their own money. They get other people's money and, and invest it. Always looking for best place to invest the owner's money. That's what investment managers do. And so then at the end of the term of service, what's going to happen? We, the managers, the stewards, are going to undergo a job performance evaluation. The Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Look what Romans 14 verse 10 says. We, that's the Christians in this context, will all stand before the judgment seat of God For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're all going to give an account. The Bible says, God knows everything. He's keeping a record. All of our works. And they're going to be put in the fire of, of judgment, so to speak? Is it, is it going to be gold, gold, silver, and precious stones? Or is it going to be all the wood, hay, and stubble of your life that will be burned up, nothing to show of any value, eternal value for your life? Which is it? It's good for us to have reality checks sometimes. The reality is that God's name is, uh, sorry, our name is on God's account. And we have unrestricted access to God's accounts. And so as his money managers, and God is trusting us to set our own salaries. Have you ever thought about that? You get to set your own salary. Your name is on God's account. It's all his money, all his stuff. And then we get to draw all the needed funds from God's wealth 
to pay our living expenses. <laughs> you ever thought of it that way? I, I love the I love thinking about it that way. It's, and so one of our central spiritual decisions is determining what is then a reasonable amount for us to live on. What is a reasonable amount for you to live on? And then after that, you can choose to be a hoarder. You can choose not to be. You can spend the, the, the excess. After all, it's his. It's not ours. Maybe a little helpful exercise for you to do would be not, don't do this literally, but uh, I'd encourage you, if you've never done this, think about it this way. Lay God's assets on the table, figuratively speaking. Just lay God's assets on the table. Ask Him what He would have you to give away. It's His anyway. It's a good exercise to do. But i got a question for you. What do these three phrases have in common? The phrases are severe trial, abundant joy, and extreme poverty. Let me repeat them. Severe trial, abundant joy, and extreme poverty. They all have something in common. If you know the Word of God, you know they actually come from one verse in your Bible. All three of those phrases come from one verse in your Bible. And, it, and it's all in this context in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about a church who is living in extreme poverty, but yet they understood abundant joy. Here it is, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. It says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. By the way, you want, you, you want a great passage and text to study on on your giving, what, what should giving in your life look like? Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. As a giving church, despite all their problems, <laughs> uh, they were very generous with God's resources. You say, well, what's the point? But here's one of the ways that you can send your treasure on ahead by giving, by giving with the abundance of what God has given to us See, giving is not a luxury for rich people. It's a privilege for poor people. You may not feel rich. You might feel like you're in the middle class or even in the poor category, but it's a wonderful privilege that God has given you. He's chosen whatever class you're in, rich, middle class, or poor. He knows your needs. He's looking after you, and you have a this privilege of looking after his assets, whatever the category you're in. I want to skip around in some scriptures now and look at some biblical examples of what this looks like. For example, we come to the Old Testament, we see that for Israel, they had been slaves for like 400 years, so they would, they would be in that poor category, but uh, God brought them out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, they needed to build a tabernacle. God told them to build this tabernacle. And while the tabernacle is being built, the, the, the people of Israel got excited about this opportunity, caught up in all this excitement. And the Bible says they actually had to be restrained in their giving. By the way, that's what giving will do to you if you get caught up in it. Notice in Exodus chapter 36. 
this is what the craftsmen said as as they were attempting to build the tabernacle. And the, here's the craftsmen speaking to Moses, and they said, in Exodus 36, verse 5, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more than the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Wow. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, they go from slaves in Egypt to, to this? Unbelievable. Well, there's many examples we could look at. Another biblical example is when David, he looked at what uh, he and his fellow Israelites were giving to God, and it actually humbled him greatly. And he says here in First Chronicles 29, verse 14, this is David speaking, he says, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So David recognized who owns it all. This wealth that's being given, he recognized where it's coming from, and it's all God's. Now look at this interesting verse from Numbers chapter 18, verse 24. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. By the way, notice the tithe. The tithe means a tenth. But notice that the the people here gave their money to God. Notice, they're not giving to the Levites. The, the Levites was that, that, that one group within Israel where uh, the, all the priests came from. And so the, they're giving their money to God, not the Levites. And, and it may have looked like the people were giving to their spiritual leaders, but they actually gave it to God here. And it was then God who's uh, then designated those funds to give to the Levites. So this is a a principle that's been passed down into the New Testament where where God's people, uh, we, we give to God, and then God distributes to his spiritual leaders. It's an important truth for us to understand. Uh, as a pastor, I, I, I'm concerned about my fellow pastors throughout this country and around the world who struggle financially. The Bible says over and over again it is it is the Christian's responsibility to love their pastors and support them financially. I don't like mentioning that, but that's what God's word says. And so that's part of our one of our ways that we can pass our treasures on ahead, if you will. So let me ask you, my friends, are you growing weary with life? Are you growing weary with life? One of the ways you can stop growing weary with your life is to give. Don't be a hoarder. Don't be one of these uh, treasure hiders. But uh, See, here's the thing. Giving infuses your life with joy. Acts tells us Jesus said it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. And so it, what it does is it interjects an eternal dimension even to the, the most ordinary things of our lives. But hold on a moment, my friends. <laughs> See, great as that might sound, our present joy is not the best part of the treasure principle. See, the treasure, the treasure principle is, is exhorting us to send it on ahead to something that is of eternal value. It's an eternal dimension. To think about this, let me just compare two young men to explain this point. Both died in Egypt. The first one, well, let me put it this way. If you were to go to Cairo, Egypt, and you walk down a little back alley, you could actually find a gate that opens to a plot of overgrown grass. It's a little cemetery, a graveyard for American missionaries. You'll see a picture on the screen of William Borden, born in 1887, died in 1913. And in that little cemetery there for the American missionaries, there's a tombstone for William Borden. You can read a book about him. I don't know if it's in our church library, but I certainly have it at home. Borden was a, a Yale graduate, which is one of those Ivy League, you know, high elite schools in the east, eastern part of the United States. He was also an heir to great wealth. But he rejected all this life of ease in order to take the gospel to the Muslims in Egypt. He even refused to buy himself a car. Borden, even though a, a, an heir to great wealth, gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. And after only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spi sp uh, sorry, spinal meningitis, and he died at the age of 25. His tombstone describes his love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God, describes his, his love for the Muslim people of Egypt, would you like to know what it says on his tombstone? There's an inscription on his tombstone. It's, and it's in these words. It says, quote, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. A lot of people thought he was crazy. He's lost his marbles. You know, he needs to be locked up in an insane society, Right? But there's another young man who died in Egypt a long time before William Borden. You can find the remains if you go to the Egyptian National Museum. And there in the Egyptian National Museum, you will find some things from King Tut. There's a whole exhibit in the Egyptian National Museum. This boy king was only 17 when he died. And he was buried with solid gold chariots, not just covered, but solid gold chariots, and thousands of golden artifacts. And he was even buried in multiple gold coffins within, a, within other gold tombs. Incredible. You can see some, some of them there in that photo. Why would they do that? Well, the Egyptians believed in an afterlife. They believed in an afterlife where they could take their earthly treasures with them. So that's why they're buried with them. Obviously, he didn't get to take them with him, did he? 
All those treasures that were intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment throughout eternity stayed right there in his tomb with him until Howard Carter discovered his burial chamber in 1922. They hadn't been touched for like 3,000 years. They're just sitting there doing nothing. I'm struck by the difference between these two young men who both died in Egypt. I'm struck by the contrast between their two graves as well, by the way. See, Borden's is very obscure. It's hard to find, I understand. It's, it's hidden. It's, it's in a back alley. It's a place of insignificance. Most people don't know about it. King's Tut tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. Yet, here are these two young men. The one lived in wealth that, as far as we know, died without Christ and will live an eternity in misery in hell. Of course, I'm talking about King Tut. But the other, who lived a very modest life on earth, very different from King Tut now, he's enjoying his everlasting reward. He is with King Jesus in heaven. Very, very different place, very different eternity. So why is Tut's life a tragedy? Well, the answer is because of an awful truth that is sadly discovered too late for many. See, King Tut couldn't take his treasures with him when he died. But William Borden's life was, though different from King Tut, it was nevertheless triumphant. You say, why? Well, Because instead of leaving behind his treasures, what did he do? He sent his treasures on ahead. As Jesus says in Matthew 6.20, right? He laid up treasures, eternal treasures, not on earth but in heaven. That's the difference. So let me ask you, are you anticipating your heavenly home? Well... You should, because God grants rewards for generous giving. Look what Jesus says here to the rich young man in Matthew 19, verse 21. He says, if you would be perfect. Here's what Jesus says to him. If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure, where? In heaven. And then come follow me. Wow. I hope you know what ended up happening. How did that young, rich ruler respond? He walks away sorrowful, didn't he? He walks away sorrowful because he was so covetous. His his God was himself. He's worshiping himself that he can't smash that idol. So he refuses to go and sell what he possesses and give to the poor because... That would be the end of his whole identity. That would be an identity crisis. Jesus isn't worth it for him. Did you know Jesus is even keeping track of our smallest acts of kindness? Even your smallest acts of love and kindness to people, God knows them, he's keeping track, and he's going to reward you. Look what he says here in Matthew 10, verse 42. Jesus says, whoever gives... One of these little ones, he points at some children, whoever gives one of these little ones, these children, even a cup of 
cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So it doesn't have to be big things, my friends. You don't have to give a million dollars to missions to receive a reward. You can give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. God's keeping a record of all that we do for him. It's interesting, in the prophet Malachi, he, he talks about a book of remembrance. Look what he says here in chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Not that God needs a book of remembrance, but God has books. All your deeds are written in it. He's keeping track. And on Judgment Day, not one will be missed. You will be rewarded accordingly. Paul spoke about the Philippians' financial giving in the book of Philippians. And it's interesting what he says in this one verse, chapter 4, verse 17. Look what he says. He says, not that I seek the gift. Paul's not seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. (laughs) Wow, so, so they give. They give to missions. They give to God's people, people like Paul. So Paul travels around. He He starts these and establishes churches. The Philippians are giving to God's work, but yet God's keeping track of these people back in Philippi, and and God's going to reward them for doing that? Yeah. Even though they're not the ones technically out there establishing the churches, they get rewards for that because God's keeping credit. He's keeping track. What a beautiful thing that... God's keeping an, an account open for us in heaven, and every gift given for His glory is a deposit in that account. Just think about that, my friends. See, we are the eternal beneficiaries of our giving. Seems kind of strange to me, though, because it's all God's stuff anyway, right? His stuff, I give away God's stuff, and then God rewards me for giving away His stuff. That's a a head-scratcher. So I ask you, how have you been making regular deposits? Are you making regular deposits in that account? I hope so. Unfortunately, though, many people dread the thought of leaving this world because this world is their home. Now, as you know, the song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. For my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's the treasure principle. Well, why is that for some people, though? The thought of leaving this world and dying is is a dreadful thought for them. Why is that? One answer is this, because so many have stored up their treasures on earth, and they don't have any treasures in heaven. They don't really have anything they're really looking for in heaven. And that brings us to the, the, the second treasure principle. Principle key here 
a key truth that will help drive us and understand this treasure principle is this, that my heart always goes where I put God's money. See, your heart follows where you put your money. And of course, it's coming from Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 21, when he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You get that? Your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows, your treasure always follows your treasure. And so Jesus is saying, basically, to put it in my own words, show me your bank account, show me your visa statement, show me your receipts, and Jesus is saying, I will then show you where your heart is. Look at your bank account, look at your visa statement, look at your receipts. That will show a lot about where your heart is. Why is that? Because our hearts follow our treasure. Money leads, and then your heart follows. That's what Jesus is saying. So then you have to be concerned about, practically, where, what are you doing with God's assets? And, and some people, they'll, they'll say, well, hey, I want more of a heart for missions, or I want more of a heart for whatever. I don't know, you, you fill in the blank. And Jesus tells you exactly how to get it here. Matthew 6.21. How do you get more of a heart for missions or whatever? Put your money in it. Put God's money in it. Put God's assets toward that. And guess what? God says, then your heart's going to follow that. You put your money in missions and your heart's going to follow. So my friend, do you wish you cared more about eternal things? Do you wish you had a heart for eternal things? Jesus is saying you reallocate those assets toward eternal things then your heart will follow. See, if you reallocate some of God's resources, then maybe uh, what's going to happen, well, what will happen, Jesus says, is the temporal things become eternal things. Watch what happens when you do that. And by the way, why is this important? Because God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Right? You remember the great command? Love God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your being, right? Part of that is your heart. God cares about your heart. He isn't looking just for donors for his kingdom, by the way, because it's his stuff anyway. But he's looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. God wants you immersed in that. And of course, giving isn't the only good thing that we can do with God's resources. And, And we need to, of course feed and we need to clothe and house and transport our families, look after our families. After all, the Bible says in Timothy, uh, you're worse than an infidel if you don't do that. God's not saying give away all your ass- his assets and then you know your family dies from hunger, for example. <laughs> You'd be worse than an infidel. But when the basics are taken care of, then we can think about what do we do with the rest? What do we do with the rest? Are we laying up treasures in heaven? I've been immensely helped by the life of Moses, particularly in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it answers this question of why did Moses leave Egypt's treasures? Here's a, here's a man who gave up a lot. He's the prince of Egypt. 
the, the greatest nation on planet earth at that time, incredible wealth. Just look at what was in King Tut's tomb. All that gold and everything else. And some look at, at Moses and, and, and call the guy a madman. You're a lunatic. Why would you give all that up, Moses? Well, here's what Hebrews 11, verse 26 says about Moses. Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So was Moses really giving anything up? Was he? Not in his eyes, not in his mind. Because in his his eyes, there is something greater. Something greater than all those treasures of Egypt. He may have been the next in line to be the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, maybe. I don't know. Yet he's, he's looking at all that, and then he looks over here, and he contrasts the two. I can't have them both at the same time, right? Because Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And Moses realizes that. I can't serve two masters. It's, it's one or the other. Treasures of Egypt or Christ? Hmm. For some people, that's a hard decision. Moses looks at the treasures of Egypt, and he looks at Christ, and he says, Wow, Christ is supreme. Far greater. Far greater. So he considered the reproach of Christ greater. That wealth of Christ is greater than all the treasures of Egypt. Hmm. So he who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures then. See, the Bible says to to this kind of a person, death Is it loss? Is it loss? He who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. Uh, We ought to be moving toward our treasures. So that's why I'm asking the question here, my friends. Where are you moving? You're all moving somewhere. You realize you're not still, right? You're not still in this life. You are moving some way or another. So are you moving daily toward your treasures? And that will show where your heart is. See, to this person, death is gain. He who spends his life moving away from his treasures then has reason to despair. He who spends his life moving toward his treasures has reason to then rejoice. So, which category are you in, my friends? Are you in the despairing category? Where you're actually moving away from your treasures? That would be hard to deal with. Or are you moving toward your treasures? See, if you recognize what Jesus is talking about, laying up treasure in heaven, the Christian is is to be moving toward his treasures. Where are you? Where are you? Are you moving toward your treasures? Or are you moving away from your treasures? Don't lay up treasures on earth. See, you can't take them with you. But you can send them on ahead. That's the glorious truth of the treasure principle. What are you living for? What are you moving toward? May God enable us to move toward our treasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glorious teachings and truths and the principles of Scripture. May we understand them and may we live uh, with the, the right heart 
the right treasure. May we understand who Christ is and how, just as Moses did, that Christ is, is the greater wealth and the greater treasure and the kingdom of heaven is far greater than the kingdom of earth. May we see these truths with the eyes of faith. Even though we can't see our bank account in heaven, we can't see streets of gold, and we can't see Christ physically yet. Give us the faith to to see those things with faith's eyes and enable us to live for what is greater, for what is supreme, for what is lasting. We're thankful that you reward. You are a great God who rewards. You're not overlooking all of these things that happen in our lives, even so-called mundane and simple things like giving of, of cups of cold water. Thank you. That we can be your stewards, would you enable us to be wise stewards, wise money managers, recognizing that you are the great God who owns all things. The the whole earth and everything on it is yours. May we live like that. Forgive us when we uh, start to act and talk and think like we are the owners. So would this be a reality check for us today that, that you are the owner. We're just the managers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.